0: Hey, away we go. It's hour two on a great day for Talk Radio, the Friday edition. And we do have that weather statement. We'll keep you apprised if anything starts whipping around here and uh, we start seeing broomsticks and uh, people flying hither and yon. But other than that, we soldier on. we got our panel coming up shortly, topics worthy of discussion. And uh, right now, though, we've been joined in the studio by mayoral candidate Jennifer Kiesmat. Jennifer, it's really a pleasure to meet you finally in person. It's cool to be here, John. You sure? You're not just saying that to make me feel good.
1: Well, I might be doing a bit of that. I know so It's it. good to curry favor. Yeah,
0: and you know, well, you know how the game is played. Then, uh, so you've got a leg up at least here on uh, how the politics game plays out. You know, I was just reading with curiosity because you had did uh, had done uh, uh, a speech before the Toronto Region Board of Trade yesterday, and uh, you had talked about uh, you would have negotiated a different result for the city than uh, John Tory has with Doug Ford. But I was really flummoxed as to what that would mean. I mean, because Doug Ford was intractable; he had his mind made up on something. How could you possibly? have got him off the direction he was intending to go.
1: Well, it's about drawing a line in the sand. It's about being absolutely clear from the outset. I'll give you a perfect example. Mm. We just heard the news today that we have uh, north of $15 billion deficit. Mm. Serious problems in this province. Mm. And, you know, staring the premier straight in the eye and saying, hey, listen, You've got some serious work to do here at the provincial level. Leave us to governing the City of Toronto. Leave, leave that in our court. That's our job to do that. You go deal with this very serious problem that you have in terms of managing this incredible problem of an absolutely massive and growing deficit. You know, those are the kinds of conversations that you have. You don't sit down, cross your arms and say, hmm, hmm maybe that's an OK idea. And then sort of work yourself up to a response, which I think is what we see. Saw with Mr. Tory, He worked himself up to a response and it took him a few weeks before he started to sort of get kind of passionate about this. No way. You draw a line in the sand right from the very beginning and say, hey, look, this isn't the right thing to do. You've got serious work to do. Mind your own business and let us deal with our issues that we have at the municipal level. That's what I would have done. That's what you do when you're negotiating. You're very clear about your interests, the other party's interests, and what needs to happen Uh, on behalf of the public, which in this instance is the residents in the city of Toronto.
0: But I submit to you that Doug Ford would have responded by saying the serious work to do includes uh, streamlining the city of Toronto. That's a large part of it. As we know, uh, here in the province, it's pretty much the straw that stirs the drink. And so uh, he felt that, you know, by reducing council from 47 down to 25, it would create efficiencies. And that's part of the heavy lifting that you're alluding to.
1: Well, I don't know. We've got information from the clerk. She's made it very clear that we're taking away politicians and we're going to add more bureaucrats. That's exactly what happened under the megacity. We got rid of politicians. We now have municipal politicians who have an average of five staff. The clerk made it very clear. Now they're going to need more like nine staff because they've got this
0: bigger geography. But Jennifer, if you're the mayor, you can say, no, we don't need nine. We can do it with five or six. Well, hey,
1: you've got a job to get done. You need people who are going through the agendas for the TTC, for exhibition Place, there's a tremendous amount of work to get done. That job still needs to get done. It's not getting done through a press release from Queens Park. The job still needs to get done anywhere you slice it. And now what we've done, we've made the districts bigger. Just to put this in perspective for a minute, the city of Guelph is 133,000 people. Mm. It has a mayor and 12 councillors. What about efficiencies there? Like we're, we now have municipal wards in Toronto that are 120,000 people with one one councillor. Just think about that in terms of scale. You've got a mayor and 12 councillors in Guelph, and all of the infrastructure, all of the departments, all of the committees. We've narrowed that down to one. We we can't be naive about the work that still needs to get done. The garbage needs to get picked up. The housing needs to get built. The transit needs to get built. You need people, you know, if you don't have people doing the jobs, the jobs don't get done. I think we've seen a lot of that in this city.
0: You know, it's interesting. You mentioned the garbage. I was just having lunch with somebody from 416, the local, and uh, they were wondering if you would support privatizing the garbage east of Yonge Street or not?
1: I'm so glad you asked that. I do not support privatizing it, and for a very good reason, Mm. because I've been behind closed doors when I was chief planner at the City of Toronto, and I've seen the value that local 416 offers. The value for dollar is exceptional. When you put a profit imperative in there, the price actually goes up. And what we want to do is be as responsible as possible, as respectful as possible with taxpayers' dollars. And that means taking a taxpayer's dollar and giving it to a for-profit company is not the way to do this. It's not the way to deliver services. The better way to deliver it is to have a strong 416 delivering that service.
0: Again, with jennifer keys man she's a candidate for mayor you know coincidentally at this lunch you're going to think it was a large one but i was talking to uh the head of the police association and you know when we were in our discussion you know i said what would typically be necessary to uh, address the situation with uh, the violence in the streets the guns the gangs and so on and so forth Uh, he had a number uh let me ask you though Without revealing what that number is, do you think we need to uh, increase the number of police officers? And how would you go about addressing that question, that overall question of making our streets safer?
1: Well, now I'm so curious as to what your number is, but let me say this. Mm. Mayor Tory reduced the amount of officers. He froze the Toronto Police Service. And now we've seen an escalation in crime. I just don't think that's what Torontonians want to see is this yo-yoing where you freeze policing, you lose officers, you have an escalation in crime, and then you turn around and say you're announcing more officers. Come on. That's not good management. It's not a good way to deliver a service. My approach is to have a plan, establish the service level. This is the level of service. So for example on 911 calls, when people call 911, we need to be meeting nena standards. People should not be put on hold when they call 911 in a crisis. You need that service to be available. That's something that I've committed to. So you establish a service level and then you staff to deliver that service level. That's not what has been happening under Mr. Tory. In fact, the opposite has been happening. Randomly cut staff, randomly add staff with no plan in response to a crisis. I think that kind of yo-yoing is not in the public interest. It's not making the city safer. We want to focus on prevention. We want more officers based and working in communities, building respect with community groups, community organizations, in order to deliver more preventative policing services. This is an international best practice. That's what we need to do. All right.
0: So you would embed officers in these communities?
1: Absolutely. That's what we need to do. We need to strengthen neighborhood-based policing. That's what we need to do as a city. And we know it works. We've seen it work elsewhere. And the tiny bit that we've done it so far, it's worked when we've done it. So why aren't we doing it on a bigger scale? There's only one reason. Because Mr. Torrey didn't have a plan, and he walked in the door, and he froze. He froze the hiring of new police officers. And a lot of police officers left
0: the service. Well, that was a budget constraint, wasn't it?
1: Well, but that's my my what what kind of an approach is that to just walk in and say, okay, we're going to freeze service and now we have a problem and now we're going to increase service. That's the yo-yoing. That's a problem. uh,
0: But the chief was also working hand in glove and suggesting that we can do it more efficiently or there's going to be a transformative police force. And that meant uh, through attrition, some of the numbers would be lowered. And you're saying we're suffering the consequences now.
1: I do. And I am saying that. And we also know that that modernization plan, that strategy that was put in place, it has stalled because the emphasis in that plan is about focusing on neighborhood policing, and that's what has not been happening. So we had one part of the plan implemented, but not the rest. So what we need to do is focus on implementing that plan. What I'm recommending is that we enhance it and we accelerate it. We we deliver it more quickly. We're in the middle of a crisis. When you're in a crisis, you don't sort of twiddle your thumbs and throw numbers at the wall with the new officers. You actually create a plan and a strategy, and you implement that plan and the strategy to deliver the service that residents in this city expect. And when it comes to safety, I'm sorry, that's a starting point. The city has to be safe.
0: Okay, so the status quo is inadequate. We know that. Uh, so that does involve more resources. And resources means more personnel.
1: Well, what it, so what it means in terms of the transformational plan mm-hmm. that the chief has put forward, it's about focusing on prevention. It's about focusing on that neighborhood-based policing. That's what's in the plan. The problem is we haven't made the transition. So within the existing police budget that we have today, we're sort of stuck between two worlds. We've got a little bit of the old world of focusing on the crime. Hey, if you think about it, when a crime happens, you've got ambulances, you've got police, you've got social services, you've got victim services, let alone the social cost of that crime. Crime costs us a tremendous amount of money. We are going to focus on the prevention of crime, create a safer city where families are safe, where children are safe. We're really going to shift around the resources to a prevention folks focus strategy and that's what's been missing
0: well again with jennifer keys matt you know we were just uh, reading yesterday when uh the details came out on the danforth shooter where the police had just uh two days prior arrested him for shoplifting and on three previous occasions going back to 2010 uh they had cited that he had some mental issues you know this is the other part of the equation if you're talking about making it safe a lot of times the police are anticipated or expected to be social workers at the same time so uh How would you maybe help to uh, supplement what police work uh, involves and, uh, you know, on the streets at the very uh, street level that there need to be more resources dedicated to uh, mental health?
1: I am so glad you've asked that, John, because that's what community-based policing is about. It's about the police officers working with organizations, identifying those who are at risk or those who have a pattern of mental illness, a pattern of, of petty crime, and working together, all of those organizations working together to prevent that person from going down a violent path. That is exactly what neighborhood policing is about. And the great thing is we know it works. It works. It works in this city. It's worked in other cities, but we are stalling. We aren't delivering that today. We can deliver that and make the city safer.
0: All right. Insofar as delivering uh, everything that everyone wants, would you hold the line on property taxes or do you think there's the inevitable increase coming?
1: Well, we have this great challenge in our city, which is that the city is unaffordable for so many families. So many ordinary families, working families in the city are finding the city unaffordable. And my commitment is to ensure I'm not increasing the burden on those families because the city should be helping with affordability the city shouldn't be part of the problem when it comes to affordability
0: also uh the fact is that businesses feel sometimes uh they are also being challenged you know you've got congestion this is the bugaboo that's uh been dogging us for years is there uh a key that would unlock this whole issue of congestion? I know you've got the pilot project, not you specifically, Mm -hmm. but we've got a pilot Mm -hmm. project along King Street. You're supportive of that. Would you see that being replicated in other neighborhoods?
1: So the first thing I'll say is that I brought out a transit network plan, and part of that plan includes making the King Street pilot permanent so that it becomes a permanent part of the infrastructure in the city, in part because just like a magic bean, as a result of that project, which I advanced as chief planner, we have 20,000 more people riding that transit line a day. That's a that's a lot of cars, if you think mm-hmm. about it. That's a lot of rides happening, and we were able to do that without even having to put a shovel in the ground. My transit network plan is about delivering excellent transit in every single corner of the city. That's a problem we have right now. We have had transit planning on drawn up on the back of a napkin. Smart track was a mirage, hasn't delivered a single thing. My transit plan is about ensuring that transit is a real choice everywhere, in Etobicoke, in North York, in Scarborough, in every corner of the city. So this whole pilot thing city. on
0: King would, uh, as I said, be replicated in a lot of different neighborhoods, will you? But there have been businesses that feel impacted by this, and they think that this is detrimental to their uh, their interests.
1: No, I didn't say it would be replicated in different neighborhoods because a really important part of the pilot project is that it is in a specific part of the downtown network where you have a parallel street network, where you have Richmond and Adelaide, which act as funnels for cars. So you have to be really careful. They're nasty. They are congested. And this gets back to the most important point here, which is that we're growing. We're going to add a million people over the next 20 years. Our roads are already full. Mm -hmm. They're already full. In fact, the Gardner Expressway was full. Ten years after it was built, there haven't been more cars that have been able to get on it. It's at capacity. So the only way that we can add density in the city and add more people and shorten the commute, the only way is by building out an excellent transit network. That's the way we're going to have to do it and densifying in the city, adding more density so that people have the option of walking, living close to where they work. But that's not going to be for everyone. So we need to make sure that we have excellent transit in every corner of the city. That's that's the only way that we're going to get around this.
0: The other thing, of course, is the density that you speak of. Uh, it's caused problems, too, since we don't have the infrastructure. A lot of uh, projects have been greenlit, and now we see like flooding in Union Station and so on and so forth. Uh, it seems like it's almost counterproductive. We're setting ourselves up for colossal uh, catastrophes, natural catastrophe. Hopefully, you know, the rain doesn't come too heavily here tonight. But uh, why, why was that allowed to happen? You were planner, planner and that was on your watch, wasn't it, in large measure?
1: Well, I completely agree with you that we are not building the infrastructure that we need to be building. And Mr. Torrey voted down a plan that was all about addressing the stormwater management problem. And he voted down that plan. And we need leadership on this issue. We are getting more water in our city. And the only way we are going to be able to address that is if we build the infrastructure that recognizes this is just the beginning. More water is coming. And cities around the world are figuring this out and are building infrastructure for that water that hasn't been happening here we've made some very good steps we've put in green roofs we've built some on a smaller scale we've built some storm water management features we've built some green infrastructure but it's all being done on too small of a scale and that's a leadership problem i created a green streets group at the city but there was no political interest in actually fixing that problem and getting the flooding off of our roads comes down to leadership. We need leadership. We don't have leadership right now that sees this as a priority. John Tory doesn't see it as a priority. That's why he voted against it. He voted against the plan that was brought forward by city staff. That's a problem. You have to take these issues seriously if you're going to fix them. All right, and and you, he isn't.
0: I'd be remiss if I didn't ask because uh, several people have asked me to uh, inquire if you support the Woodbine bike lanes because they think it's a real cock up in the uh, eastern part of the city. Do you?
1: Listen, we need to be providing more choices for how people get around this city. And we need to ensure those choices are safe. People are cycling today. We know this. You can look out the window and you see people cycling by. You can see tons of them cycling by. People are cycling and they're starting to cycle more and more in every single corner of this city. We need to make sure that cycling is a a real and a safe choice. It's a good thing when people get out of their cars and say, hey, I'm gonna get on my bike instead. That's actually a good thing for the city. It's good for our air, it's good for our space, it's good for our tax dollars, Mm. because it's very small impact on our infrastructure when people get on their bikes, but it needs to be safe. And we have a challenge right now, adding density. And we haven't been building out all of the infrastructure that we need and building out all of the choices that we need in this city. And if we're going to add more people, we need to get with the 21st century and build out a city where people have lots of choices in terms of how they can get around everywhere. That's going to cost
0: though. That, That implies property tax increases, doesn't it?
1: Listen, there's lots of ways that we can build infrastructure and we can build smarter infrastructure. Public-private
0: partnerships? Is that what you're alluding to?
1: Well, in some in some instances, that might be the case, but uh, I'll give you an example. We haven't talked about affordable housing, mm. but we have city-owned land right now that we're selling off, and we're selling it off uh, off to development. We would be creating way more public benefit if we took that land and we built affordable housing in this city so that people could live on on transit we could have more people taking transit every day with affordable housing that can support our arts that can support our tech industry that would you support support affordable housing
0: at ontario place as it's reimagined
1: Well, Ontario Place needs a master plan. It's been a big bugaboo. I Mm. do not for a second think that a casino is a good idea. It needs to be a public space.
0: Should it be a space for affordable housing as well?
1: It's a space that first and foremost needs to be a park. It needs to be accessed as a park. The water's edge. Uh, we need to look at the whole exhibition place, the C&E grounds, and Ontario place for a master plan. And within that larger area, there's absolutely some space where affordable housing should be built.
0: All right. Well, I'll let you go, because I know you want to cycle before the weather uh, gets bad. You're cycling home
1: I'm, get, <laughs> I'm getting in my car, my oh, friend. Well, i in my car. Well, there you go right
0: away. We knew it. We knew Good it. Good try, though. Good <laughs> well, try. It wasn't a try. <laughs> uh, it was a pretty safe assumption, given what you told me, and now uh, you've just thrown everything under the bus uh i feel disappointed that you're not going on a bike and uh, heading on out but uh all right it's nice to talk to you. we'll see you again on the debate great tuesday. to chat with you yeah jennifer k's matt candidate for mayor of toronto uh she'll be back with john tory and uh two other mayoral hopefuls on tuesday at four o'clock here on the oakley show